0: Lord. All right. Turn to Deuteronomy 24 and Matthew 5. We're going to look at both passages. Deuteronomy 24. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Okay, we're gonna do this, uh, and I want to get right into this I believe God to help us. Amen. In our last um, marriage retreat, we were getting ready for it and we opened it up to a number of the churches in the area and we had about 110 couples. And as we were getting ready for it, and uh, we bring in a guest speaker, but I always do one seminar, God really did speak to me to preach this message. I've never preached it since then. That was three years ago. And um, on divorce, Because I really felt God deal with me going into the thing, into the retreat with 110 couples. There was no doubt some couples there who have said that if this doesn't work, it's over. Unless we get a breakthrough, unless something significantly happens, then the marriage is going to end. And uh, in a group this size, there may be people here this morning that that is your attitude that, you know, it's more than just a break, or getting away, but your marriage is in deep, deep trouble this morning, and you are honestly considering divorce. You may not have said that to anybody. You may have decided to keep that to yourself. You may not even have told the person you're married to, but in your heart of hearts, you're dealing with divorce. And I want to I wanna preach a sermon on divorce and talk to you about divorce from the Word of God and, uh, and uh, believe the Lord to help us. Deuteronomy 24, uh, we're going to look there in the Word of God. Then we'll jump over to Matthew 5. The Bible says in verse um, 1, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. When she has departed from his house and goes to become another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife then her former husband who has divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled for that is an abomination before the Lord and you shall not bring sin on the land with the Lord your God which the Lord your God has given you as an inheritance and now we turn over to Matthew 5 which is the uh, New Testament Updated version, verse 19, Jesus says, uh, uh, Let's see here. Wait, wait, okay, wait a minute. I think I'm, uh oh, big mistake here. Okay. Okay. 31, thank you. Got all these papers here. Furthermore, it has been said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, whosoever divorces his wife for any reason, except for sexual immorality, cause her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Okay, I want to uh, look with you, and I want to talk to you first of all about the bill of divorcement. Now this is the mystery clause in the word of God. Now in the book of Deuteronomy, we are given uh, a mysterious passage of scripture. The Bible says that a man, if he became uh, uh, upset at his wife, had the ability to go to his wife and uh, say to her, you know what, I'm not uh, uh, happy with you. And he was allowed to write her a bill of divorcement and send her away. And Moses gave an escape clause to a bad marriage. Now, this is somewhat of a mystery because we're unsure about what the reasons uh, for this. A couple of them. One is that that this was a time of uh, multiple wives when men left Egypt they left Egypt with harems because that was a very commonplace thing in Egypt for men to uh, have harems of women that were referred to as his wives and this man had the right to move women in and out of his harem as he pleased Adam Clark says that this bill of divorcement was actually elevating the standard by it made, because it made a man actually have a reason and make sure that it was a permanent decision and so when Moses was actually putting this clause in, even though we look at it and say, what a joke, and yet in that time, in that context, it was actually raising the bar when it came to marriage. The second thing the Bible says here is if he found some uncleanness in her. Now this is an interesting thing. It means to be immodest or openly a prostitute or improper or a matter of nakedness. And if you read Bible commentaries, you will find that commentators don't agree as to what this uncleanness is. It couldn't have been adultery because back then, if you committed adultery, you didn't get divorced, you got stoned. And so, this is not talking about adultery, but what it is talking about is a special situation. That what Moses was saying is that if a man wanted to leave his wife and he could come up with a special reason, a special circumstance for doing this, then he was permitted to do so. Now, I want to talk to you about the danger of special situations this morning. Because this is what the Lord Jesus is addressing when He talks about the bill of divorcement and then He turns and He says, but I say unto you. And what Jesus is doing right here is He is saying uh, that I don't recognize uh, uh, the, the special situation as a legitimate cause for divorce. Think with me. These men would come up with a reason for divorce other than adultery. And they function this way, obviously from its original intent where Moses was trying to raise a standard. It had denigrated all the way to the time of the Lord Jesus now. And as the Lord Jesus is there, he is saying to these men, something has happened. And now the idea of a special situation has justified all manner of divorce. And and, uh, I don't recognize it. I say this to you. Let me give you an example from sports. Back in the 1970s, there was a, 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 a thing in college basketball that was called a hardship clause. And what this was, was talented young men that were playing basketball in college. I remember this from the University of Arizona. They would play basketball in college, but many of them had come from the ghetto. They're very poor. They're not permitted to be compensated uh, for playing basketball. But because they come from desperate situations, there was a clause that was put in, and that was that a young man could forego uh, the rest of his college eligibility and try to make it in the NBA. And so you'd have a player that would play one or two years, Then he would submit an application describing his special financial hardship. And then the NCAA would say, okay, this is a legitimate reason. And then this guy would go uh, off to pro basketball after one or two years. Well, that was the original intent back in the early 1970s. Now, in in the year 2000, regularly any college player who wants to can forego his eligibility without giving any reason whatsoever. It doesn't matter. The reason doesn't matter. The special situation no longer matters. And regularly now, an outstanding college football or basketball player will play one or two years, draw attention to himself, and then he'll move on to the money. And what began as a special situation under close examination over time had denigrated to pretty much whatever anybody wanted to do. And I think that is the exact picture of what has happened in our text. What was originally intended to be something that was good had come to the point 1,500 years later where Jesus is saying, you guys are getting divorced for whatever reason you want to get divorced. You know what, everybody that I've ever dealt with who's getting divorced thinks that they have a good reason for their divorce. They have justified their special situation to write their bill of divorcement. Very interesting, Finnis Dake gives a number of things as to why uh, people would write a bill of divorcement about their wife to get divorced. Number one, she seasoned her, this is not a joke, this is serious. Men would divorce their wives because she seasoned seasoned his food too much. Going to the street with uncombed hair, spinning in the street, whatever that is. Talking too loud. And probably the most common reason why men would divorce their wives is the husband found someone more beautiful. And so what had happened is men had come to a point now where they were going to uh, get a divorce. Uh, Mike Tyson, who said, uh, knows a lot about divorce, said this. He says, you can't stay married in a situation where you're afraid to go to sleep in case your wife might cut your throat. That was his special situation. This is a disposable generation. We throw away diapers and cameras and now we throw away babies and marriages. <clears throat> what has happened here? is that people get married, they have high and lofty ideals, and when they run into problems and things turn dark, they say to themselves, I don't have to be patient, I don't have to work this out, I don't want to have to take the bad with the good, and I just want to get out. And sadly this morning there are people that that's exactly their attitude. Their marriages are on the brink, and you live by the code of the bill of divorcement. You live by the code that Jesus is condemning in our text. And that code is that this man or this woman has not been what you thought they were going to be. You have found some uncleanness in them. And now you want them out of your life. And, uh, and uh, in your mind, you have a justified reason, even though biblically you have no justified reason. In your mind, you have a justified reason for doing this. And so you live by the code of the bill of divorcement. And you're thinking about uh, getting rid of your husband or wife and throwing away your marriage. And it's not not because of unrepentant adultery it is not because that this man or woman is up and abandoned you which are the only two reasons in the Bible why people ought to be divorced that's not what's happening here you're just not satisfied and so you're ready to write your bill of divorcement why are people like this? Jesus says in Mark 10 verse 5 because of the hardness of your heart he wrote this precept the reason why people want to get divorced is because they have a hard heart This is always the real issue. The problem is not your partner. The problem is your heart. And he is saying in the context of marriage that it is a process where a man or woman's heart hardens towards the very one that they they were married to. Isn't this interesting? Because there was a time where the person you were married to, your heart was the softest towards them. Where your heart uh, was tender towards that person, to their feelings, their emotions, but what has happened is over time uh, there's been a hardening of the heart uh, and your heart in life, um, and the bang of infatuation and excitement is gone, Uh, and when your heart begins to grow hard towards your spouse, I want to tell you, you become less forgiving, you become impatient, and pretty soon the little idiosyncrasies uh, of that person's life eat at you and bug you to no end. You can't stand them. You can't stand their laugh. You can't stand the, their little quirks and, 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 and kinks about their life. They bug you. What has happened to you is you've become hardened towards them. They, in effect, may not have changed, really, not all that much at all. But you have changed. Your heart has changed. Jesus says, your heart has become hard. Amen. Let me read you what Malachi Chapter two, verse sixteen says, <clears throat> "Well, I saved it here." Malachi two sixteen. The Bible says these words: "The Lord of God of Israel says that He hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence." Says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, uh, Lord of hosts, therefore take heed to your spirit, that you deal not treacher- treacherously with your wife. There are two things that I want you to consider of this text when it comes to the hardening of the heart in divorce. Number one is that God hates divorce. God never intended married people to separate. What happens when you get married is the Bible says everything that God is doing in your life is to join you together to become one flesh. Marriage tonight, today uh, is... Uh, uh, the, the word one flesh there actually means a composition. And the idea there is that God is joining and joining together. And there's no such thing as a clean break at marriage. That's why the Bible says it covers the skirt with violence. When couples get a divorce, I want to tell you, it is messy. It is like if you were to take two pieces of wood and glue them together, then they become hardened, and now you're trying to split them apart. They're going to splinter. Part of you is going to be left with that person. Part of that person is going to be left with you. It is a messy thing. It is a foul thing. It is a horrible thing. And it's something that couples need to be thinking about when it comes to the issues of marriage and their own life and how all these things are working out. It is a messy situation. I know the the cop-outs that people say about their marriage. Remember, I'm not talking about unrepentant adultery or abandonment. I'm talking about when you're just dissatisfied with the person you're married to. And now you want out of your marriage. And woe be to you if you befriend a divorcee somewhere who tells you what a wonderful life and you ought to do it. The worst thing you ought to do is become best friends with a person who's been divorced. A man or a man hater. And you need to stay away from them. Another thing you'll read, and it's a delusion, you'll find feminists writing books uh, that talk about how children are better off when the couples aren't happy, and uh, and it's better off getting a divorce and having them raised in that in that house. Well, I don't believe that. Let me read you this little quote. It says, "Fatherless children are twice as likely to drop out of high school. Chances of being a high achiever are cut in half," according to the National Association of Elementary School Principals. 33% of children from two-parent families become high achievers, while only 70% of children from single-parent homes become high achievers. Fatherless children are also 50% more likely to have learning disabilities. Fatherless sons are 300% more likely to become incarcerated in state juvenile institutions. 70% of all juveniles in state institutions today come from fatherless homes. God hates divorce. Because this is the residue. This is what's left behind. It is a violent thing. It is a horrible act. It covers the skirt. It rips people apart. God hates it. Second thing I want you to consider here is that divorce is a spirit. The Bible says, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously with your wife. Now, in the text, God is rebuking men in that nation that had developed a casual attitude about marriage and divorce. And he is saying that the problem surpasses human dynamics, but it become a spiritual issue. Now, I preach this sermon because I know what it's like to sit down with somebody who is going to get a divorce, and they don't care what I say. You know why they don't care what I say? Because they're bound up by a spirit. And when you deal with people that are bound by a spirit, logic and reason means nothing. They are consumed by something That they're going to do and you'll not counsel them out of it. They have entertained the spirit and basically when people are ruled by a spirit, what they feel matters more than what they know. What they feel. What they feel is I cannot ever live with this man or this woman and be happy. I have a right to be happy are the common words of people that are like this. They have embraced the spirit. The spirit is loosed in our society. I have in my hand the divorce, uh, uh, divorces uh, uh, in America. In 1920, there were 170,000. In 1997, there were 1.16 million. There's a spirit that is loosed in our generation that is operating, that has gotten a hold of people. And I would throw this in for free. If you're a child of divorce, one of the things that I have found in my own personal observation is that oftentimes when children of divorce get married, there is something that they're going to contend with towards despair and hopelessness when their marriage hits hard times. Just like I preached a moment ago about fighting in the marriage. When a, a, a child of divorce, oftentimes, they're the ones, when they get into a marriage and, and, uh, and they begin to have problems, there's immediately a despair that this isn't going to work. You know why? Because it's a spirit and that spirit has moved on to them, and there's this fear that marriages don't hold together, two people don't stay in love, and we're contending against something, and this is something you better recognize when you're struggling and you're rationalizing this in your mind. Divorce is a spirit this morning, and it grabs a hold of you, and you need to understand that. Amen. I want to talk to you about the blessing of the long-term. The blessing of the long-term marriage. What I want to do, and I'm going to just speak for a few more minutes is I just want to try to help you understand the real benefit of marriage is when you stay married a long time. So you need to see your marriage as an investment this morning. Francis Bacon made this statement. Wives are young men's mistresses, companions of middle age, and old men's nurses. there's There's something profound about that. And what he is saying is that the real payoff of marriage really falls to a man when he's been married a long time now we live in the day and age of mutual funds and investments all you're hearing about, you know, I don't know if you guys have ever sat down with a financial advisor, have you done this yet? where they sit you down and you're 27 and they say well if you start putting away so much money every month into some sort of a mutual fund by the time you're 65 you'll you'll, uh, you know it would be worth 6.7 million dollars and, and what they're basically saying is true at the present, uh, the way the present economy, if it continues this way, that if you make an investment, a consistent investment over 30 years, if you're young, then with, the, with that money being uh, allowed to be reinvested, then you will have a lot of money. You'll have a, a, a tremendous a retirement. Well, if that is true with money, it has to be true with marriage that if you continue to invest in your marriage and stay with your marriage through the ups and the downs of the market and stay invested in your marriage that at the end of your marriage you're going to have a tremendous amount of blessing that has accrued to you. And people don't remember this or don't understand that. We have the imagery in the Bible of Jacob and Leah. (laughs) and Rachel. The Bible says that Jacob worked seven years to marry Rachel. Those seven years were, went, by, went by so quickly because he was so excited. You all know this story. The day of the marriage comes. The veil is upon the bride. He takes her into the tent and he wakes up in the morning and instead of being Rachel, it's his ugly, her ugly sister Leah. We know this story, amen. And that story is true in every marriage. How many know that? Every marriage, you marry somebody you think you're getting and then after you get married, you realize they are not what you thought you were getting. You see the Leah side to them. And uh, at that point, you can say, I've been deceived, I've been ripped off. Uh, how did I know she was taking three hours to make herself up before we were going on a date, you know? And, uh, and, and if you're not careful, you can become disappointed because you're going to see a side of that person that you didn't know was there. But then Laban came back and said, Okay, you want Rachel? Work seven more years. And the lesson there, of course, is that you don't have to just work before you're married. You have to work after you're married. And if you work after you're married, then the Leah can become the Rachel you always wanted based on your hard work. There is a benefit that comes to marriage and you need to see the long-term benefits that come. You might be struggling right now, but I want to tell you, if you continue to invest hard work in your relationship, God begins to move and He begins to help you. That was the dynamics of marriage. They were never meant to be enjoyed only the first couple of years. Don't you hate that spirit and that attitude uh, when couples say, well, I've been married three years. Oh, you're still on your honeymoon. You ever heard people say that? Oh, you're still on your honeymoon, man. You're just, you know, and they and they say that. And it's like, you know what? They're saying more about their marriage than they're saying about your marriage. Because marriage wasn't intended to get worse. It was intended to get better. Jesus saves the best wine for last when it comes to weddings. Did you hear that story about that couple from Las Vegas New Mexico? Uh, I read this in Reader's Digest. <clears throat> they had... Uh, dated and married and they were married for less than a year and they got in a car accident and the woman had amnesia and she could not remember like the last three or four years of her life everything else she could remember except the last three or four years which meant she could not remember her husband at all she totally drew a blank when she met him when they dated or they were even married and so she knew her mom and dad, she knew her friends but her husband She didn't know and they're married. And so this guy is trying to figure out what to do. He showed her videos of the wedding. Didn't mean anything to her. Not only that, she didn't particularly like him anymore, you know. And they were married and so they didn't know what to do. This is such an unusual experience. And the guy tried different things to jog her memory. Nothing was working. And so he finally came to the conclusion, you know what I need to do? I need to court her again. So he had to ask her out on a date. Take her out, drop her off, send her flowers, send her candy, and have to re-win her. It took a while, but eventually he won her heart again, and they had another ceremony, even though they were already married. I thought, you know what? What a healthy thing to do. Court your wife all over again. How many ladies here would say that would be a nice thing? Because this guy understood the real benefit of his marriage was in the future. What do you get by staying married? What do you get by staying married? Number one, you get acceptance. The world is cruel. The world is cruel. You know what marriage says? Marriage says someone accepts me as I am. Marriage says I don't have to compete. You know that? We forget that. You know what, y'all? You're married, man. You don't know what it's like to be single anymore. You know, I see it. I see it in women in our church that have been in their 40s and they get a divorce. Even if their causes are legitimate and you sit down with them and they're in their 40s and they have the the same insecurities that they had when they were 17. All of a sudden, they have to worry so much about their appearance. All of a sudden they're they're so concerned uh, about everything in their life uh, and and they didn't even realize that when you're married there's a a sense that I'm married to someone that will love me and accept me and knows my good side and my bad side and, and I don't have to pretend or be fake and I finally have just one person in my life and I don't have to go out on the road every day and feel like I have to compete with a whole generation of younger women. That's what you get when you get married. Get acceptance. That ring means something. One person that I'm connected to for life. And I don't have to play the game. And I don't have to go to the singles bars. Henrik Gibson said, A marriage, is, if I might so put it, is an agreement for the mutual forgiveness of sin. That's what you get when you get married. You get acceptance. You don't even realize what it's like until you don't have it anymore. Until now there's nobody that you're sure really accepts you the way a husband or a wife can accept you. You can be thinking to yourself this morning, you know what, I want to ask marriage, I'm not happy, and you're under this delusion that you're going to get out there and uh, all of a sudden you're going to have all this interest. i want to help you this morning, fat chance. Amen. You know what they say about good men? They say finding a good man is like trying to find a parking space in Walmart. All the good ones are taken, and all that's left are handicapped. You know? I'm telling you the truth. 5% chance of getting married after you turn 35 if you're a woman. You get acceptance. He may not be everything you want him to be, but you know what? You have no idea what it's like to have to enter that arena again of being a single woman. Second thing you get is companionship. You get someone to sail through life with and face problems with. You you and I don't realize how much we need this. (coughs) Robert Frost had this put on his wife's gravestone it says, "As two such as you, with such a master speed, cannot be parted nor be swept away, from one from one another. Once you are agreed, that life is only forevermore together, wing to wing, and oar to oar." I want to just touch on this. It's good to have a companion to go through life with, even if you got problems. It is good to have somebody spend your life with. You know, we don't understand that. You know what you do when you get divorced? It's like you go to that mutual fund that you had been investing and scrolling away in and the account was interest-bearing and you take it and when you get a divorce, you take all of that and it's like you just flushed it. You flushed it. It didn't mean a whole lot to you right now, but it was meant for your future. But when you get a divorce, you throw that away. You know what you throw away? You throw away companionship. You throw away something, man, that, you know, one day you're going to want. Wives or old men's nurses. You know how they say the dynamics of marriage is like? It's like this. You take a young woman that God made to be beautiful and attract a man. You know that? God made a woman to be beautiful to attract a man. A man is a young guy, he's at the bottom of the, uh, of the economic ladder, and he's chasing this uh, uh, young girl, and he wants to marry her, and at the time, the sexual dynamics at that time is the girl's in control because she's young and beautiful, and there's lots of men that would be interested in her, and this guy is kind of in the position of weakness. And so he's trying to win her, uh, uh, you know, when he's 19, 20 years old. And yet because she's young and beautiful, there are 30 and 35 and 40-year-old men and stuff that are paying attention to her. But this girl says, well, no, I'll by faith marry uh, this guy, even though all I have are the tokens, you know, like uh, uh, Rebecca and Isaac. All I have are the tokens of what he could become. And so she marries this guy, and then all of a sudden things change. Because the longer they're married, she begins to have children. She begins to have responsibilities. And ladies, don't get mad at me, but sometimes they change physically. And so what happens is while this woman is becoming uh, in a more vulnerable position, he's working his way up through his job. Now all of a sudden, economically, this guy is reaching higher levels of achievement. Now he's 35 or 40 years old, uh, and his wife, uh, her, the, the, the beauty of the bloom of her youth is passing away. She has children, and now all of a sudden it's turned around. Now he's kind of the guy in the authority because he's got the money. He gets to go work a job. People look up and respect him, and she's at home. She's been out of the workplace uh, in a while, and now all of a sudden she's, she's the one that's in the weaker position. And this guy uh, thinks uh, that he's uh, uh, you know a, a real stud, and that's when men get to be 40 years old, and they begin their, their midlife crisis, you know what I mean? and they start unbutting their shirt to their belly button, wearing thick chains, uh, driving sports cars, and all this stuff. And that, unfortunately, is when many men leave their wives, isn't it? And they'll go chase after that 20-year-old girl who doesn't want to be married to the 20-year-old guy. And so for a while, this guy rides this crest through his 40s where he's the guy that's not successful. But then the guy reaches his 50s and his 60s. And in many men, at that point now, the job's trying to shove you out. They're trying to get you out. Some other younger buck has come along. And then at that point, that man returns to a place of vulnerability and his wife is the one that he's desperately going to need. That's why these fools, these absolute fools who dump their wife... And in their in their, their the peak of their success in their forties, you know what these guys are going to be fifty five year old one day, they're going to be sixty one day. Who's going to be there to take care of them? You think that uh, twenty year old uh, uh, bimbo is going to do that? Are you kidding me? You have sold out your inheritance, man. You have a companion for life. Linda Ellerby wrote a, a very poignant little article, and in the article she talked about when her, um, she got a call that her father had had a heart attack and was at the hospital. <clears throat> and she needed to rush over there to see her father. She's an only daughter. And she says, I couldn't wait to get there. She said, I rushed to the hospital because in my mind, I knew my father wanted to see me in case he didn't make it. I knew he was holding on just to see me. And she said, I get into the hospital. I run through the corridor where they say my father is. And as I turn the corner to run towards my dad because I know he wants to see me, she said, "I, I stopped. And what I saw was I saw my dad and I saw my mom. And I just saw them holding hands and looking at each other. And she said, it just hit me. That you know what? My mom and dad love each other far more than they love me. And she said, For the first time I realized the depth of their love and their commitment to one another, and that all this time I thought I was the center of their world, when in reality they shared a bond, and is there these two old people lying there, this man may die, and they have a companionship. And then she said this, she said, You know what? I dated and married and divorced a man and never felt that. You're going to want somebody when you get old. You know that? You may be having a hard time right now, but I'll tell you something. It's a cruel life to live all by yourself. I want to share just two other thoughts here, and then we'll stop. and I don't have the full narrative of this story, and I'm going to try to describe it to you, if you can just bear with me. This is found in the book, The Moral Compass. And the story goes that there was a young couple that... Uh, uh, were out living somewhere. You know, these stories all come from Holland or something, you know, and they were out living somewhere. And the man happened upon a fountain of youth and a little witch. And this little witch said, you know, in my well is a fountain of youth, and if you take it, you and your wife will forever stay young and beautiful and have your health and your strength. And so the man took this a bucket of water home, told his wife, and they were going to share this bucket of water and drink from it and, and retain their youth and for a while they did that until one day the man was doing work and he accidentally knocked the bucket over and all the water went out he thought oh man this is this is terrible <clears throat> what am i going to do so he just filled it up with regular water and decided he wasn't going to tell his wife and so what he did is he uh, he decided to uh, do that. Later on she was out in the back working and she knocked the bucket over and all went out and she thought she had lost the the precious water so she filled it with water. And so now each of them knew they were growing older but they didn't know the other person would know it. And so what they did is they, they both secretly removed all the mirrors in the house and they decided that even though my spouse is going to grow older they're not going to be able to see themselves and I'll continue to tell them how lovely they look and how handsome they look. And so time went on and this couple gets older and older and now they're graying and they're wrinkling. But every morning they get up and they say, you look beautiful today. You look great. And on and on and on so that they would keep passing off this image of youth onto each other. This goes on for many years and one day they're taking a walk and they're now very old people. And they happen to be walking along and they find the well where the fountain of youth is. And when they see it, this little witch pops out. And let me just pick up the story right here. It says this. With fast-beating hearts, they walked around the, that witch's house, and there was the well of youth with the gold and green dragonflies hovering over it. Hans and Greta stepped up to the brink. Hand in hand, they bent over the water, and out of its clear depths, two gray heads with kindly wrinkled faces gazed back at them. Hot tears rushed to their eyes. With broken words and sobs, they confessed their misdeeds. And it was some time before they could understand that all these years each of them had been deceiving the other for love's sake. "'Then you knew that we were both growing old,' said Hans. "'Of course I did,' said his wife. His wife laughed through the tears. "'So did I, so did I,' cried Hans, and he tried, he tried to leap for joy. He took Greta's head between his hands and kissed her, just as when she had plighted her troth to him. Then, as if she had sprung out of the earth, the little old witch of the woods stood before the old couple.' welcome she said it is long since you came to visit me but what is this she shook her finger at them you have not taken care of the water of youth wrinkles and gray hairs this will never do however I can cure that you have come just at the right moment quick jump into the well it is not deep plunge your gray heads under and you will see a miracle all the strength and beauty of youth will be given back to you but be quick or the sun will have gone down Hans and Greta looked questioningly at each other Will you, he asked in a voice that shook. Never, answered Greta promptly. I can't tell you what bliss it is that at last I can be old. Then think of our children and grandchildren. No, dear little woman, we thank you with all our hearts, but we will stay old, won't we, Hans? Yes, yes, said Hans, we will stay old. Hurrah, Greta, if you only knew how well your gray hair suits you. As you will, said the little old woman of the woods. I do not insist on it. With rather an offended air, she went into her house and shut the door. The old folk kissed each other once more and turned homeward, arm in arm. They went through the forest and the midsummer sun set a crown of gold upon their gray heads. You know what? I want to be with my wife when I get old. I want to get old with her. I want to tell you, man, when you get old, you're going to want your companion. Let me close with this. I married somebody last Saturday, a couple in our church. The woman had been married to her husband for 27 years. And because of an unrepentant adultery, they got a divorce. I knew the guy. Actually liked him. Talked to him often. Went through this entire divorce with them. He would not judge immorality, I kept warning him, you're going to lose your wife, you're going to lose your wife. Even after they were divorced, he kept promising her, I'm going to get my life together, I'm going to come back, I'm going to marry you, and we're going to get it all right. And she waited, you know, she waited for years, you know, but it didn't happen. So eventually, she met a nice man in the church, probably 55-year-old man in the church, good guy, and I married him last Saturday. Well, the Monday before I married him, I'm in my office, I get a phone call from her ex-husband. He says, how you doing? <laughs> He's not permitted to come to church. How you doing, Pastor? And this is George. Hey, George. Said, well, she's going to do it, isn't she? I said, yeah, she's going to do it. And he begins to tell me that he recently had hip replacement surgery. He's now well into his 50s. He's a man who works with his hands. He's not going to be able to do that anymore. He's in tremendous pain. He walks with a limp. And now his wife of 27 years is going to be married to another man. And he ain't got nothing. I remember telling him years ago, you know what, George? You're going to end up in an old folks' home all by yourself. And that's exactly where he's headed. Because he doesn't have anybody. He's estranged from his kids and his grandkids. He has nobody few years ago when he was in his 40s and he was a successful businessman he was involved with a younger woman he just couldn't see that he didn't realize that what he was doing going to that investment and throwing it away and now all of a sudden you're 55 and you're limping and you're no good to anybody and now the only thing you have to look forward to is living in an old folks home you know what, that's what you lose when you get divorced that's what you're throwing away you may think, oh no, no, I'm gonna just meet somebody else and on and on and on and or even worse, you already know who you're going to meet. But let me say I tell you, if they're involved with you now, then that shows their character and they'll do it again. Let's bow our heads. God hates divorce. We live in a world that lives by the bill of divorcement. We live in a world that lives by this code that says you know what? I'm not happy in my marriage. I'm just going to write it off. But you do not understand what you're writing off. Jesus said, "This is your problem, is not your spouse. Your problem is your heart. You have permitted your heart to become hard. And that person who you were once softest with, you have now become hardest towards. That's what's happened. That's really what's happened. And even worse than that, a spirit gets on you. Then it's irrational." that it's gripped you. God wants to deliver you this morning. But you know what, Pastor? I, I want to be set free. I want God to do something. to lift your hand. I want you to lift your hand. Believe God. Amen. It'd be nice if you just do things like this secretly, but you're not going to judge anything that way. Hallelujah. Amen. Church, let's just, just begin to pray. Let's just lay hold of God together right now. Father, I pray by the grace of God, uh, your spirit and grace that will operate. Um, God, I do bind the spirit of pride. I take authority over every demon power that would resist. God, I pray married couples would be set free. The eyes of their understanding would be opened. That they would see the hope of the calling that is in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that they would be heirs together of the grace of life. God, let blessing and dominion, God, be released uh, into these marriages. And we overthrow the spirit of divorce. We curse uh, its wicked influence that men and women would be delivered and set free. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. Well, it's been a real uh, privilege to be able to uh, be here this weekend.